0: is Alan Watt and
1: Cutting Through the Matrix on June the 18th, 2008. For newcomers, look into CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com, because there's lots of information from previous shows on this big reality of ours and where it's going, who created it, who guides it, how it works on the public, and how we always go along with it. We're very adaptable as a species. Also look into on un- for transcripts which you can download, written in the various tongues of Europe. And we really are on a roll, as everyone can see. We're all getting pushed into the crisis, crisis everywhere situation, where the sky is falling, almost literally, because they're spraying us and using a harp. And a good part of the planet, and definitely North America, It's getting an awful lot of deluge coming down on a daily basis. And the harp is playing away, so much so that those on satellite are having a hard time picking up anything at all, like myself, for instance. And I'm talking about the satellite I use for uploading and downloading from the Internet. The air is full of electromagnetic waves, and that's what they're using in conjunction as they shock and awe the whole world into a new deal, a new deal with a, a new way of life. And that's what it's all about, crisis. We are the herd, the human herd. And long ago, societies which joined up and linked up together, along with the very rich men of the world, decided they were taking it all over. And they knew too that in a post-industrial era, they didn't want all the useless eaters around so much so they actually printed it and called those useless eaters like Bertrand Russell. No problem with that at all, and no shame because they're psychopaths at the top. However, they do hire very good think tanks to plan the strategy because everything that happens is this long-term strategy for a big long-term business plan to take over everything in the world. But meanwhile, the public across the planet must be persuaded not only that they're the problem they've got to start to believe they are the problem the victim must accept that he or she happens to be the problem exactly as George Orwell described in his book 1984 it wasn't good enough that you parrot your torturers signals how many fingers do I have up and O'Brien tells them However, however many I say are up, are up. And that's how it is. You've to obey them and believe it. You have to believe in Big Brother. And you have to believe that you are the problem. Little old you happens to be the problem. And we're being bombarded with propaganda from all world TV and radio on that very issue to convince us we are the problem. And we've had years of preparation gradually escalating up to the present to convince us of this. Now you're hearing people in the street in conversations uh, using the terminology of carbon footprints, greenhouse gases, and all this magic paraphernalia that comes out of the abstract ether of the brain cells of the guys who dream it up. And we simply parrot it to each other until we make it a reality and this is going to be the big green place for the future our whole world and our whole ways of living is to be altered to go along with the greening of the planet any volunteers for euthanasia not yet but they'll come guarantee it back with more after the following break Lean anywhere, and yada yada, on it goes. And already they have had riots in some parts of Europe and big demonstrations in Paris and Brussels and a few other countries to do with this. And this is what it's meant to be. The big people who work at the top, the real economists, the ones who don't write for newspapers and who are in on the big agenda, don't make mistakes. They don't make mistakes. So whatever is happening, on an economic level, was meant to happen. Because out of all of this, is supposed to come a brave new world, a new world order. And that's a completely different way of doing everything. Everything, you can imagine. Completely alien to anything we do now. A controlled society with, with a big family planning, the global family. And we know what that means. And it will also mean not just school to work. You'll be trained for a specific task if they need you. If they need you. And that's been printed in some of the big boys' books. You don't have to imagine what what's, it's going to take us because if you've studied the foundations and the big organizations like the Trilateral Commission, the Council on Foreign Relations, the Royal Institute for International Affairs, and a whole myriad of other ones that are all interlaced, and there's literally a thousand of them, uh, then you find they're all going in the same direction with the same goal, the same objective. Years ago, when they were pulling the fast one over the eyes of the people in Europe, and especially Britain, with the economic union that started off as a form of free trade, uh, they used little buzzwords and terms, and one of them was closer ties. Every year, the Prime Minister would to meet other Prime Ministers, and all he would say to the newspapers is, we're cementing or bringing closer ties with France or Germany or wherever it happened to be. The same kind of terminology that Thatcher used about the special relationship that she meant with the intelligence services and military between Britain and the US. So here's Tony Blair, who just left as the Prime Minister of Britain, and these guys don't retire. Remember, Thatcher said that it's a parallel government, and because we're ex-prime ministers and presidents, we all know each other, and we work together for a common cause, and we're unimpeded by the public because, because we're not responsible to the public as politicians anymore. So they can work in these organizations towards their agenda and get things done in a hurry, and it's not thrashed out on any parliament or congressional floor. That's how the parallel government works. So this is from the, the, the telegraph.co.uk and it says here it's, on a, it's actually updated on the 17th of June 2008 and it says Tony Blair sidesteps democracy issue and call for ties with Russia and China Tony Blair yesterday urged the West to forge strategic partnerships with Russia and China despite concerns about both countries' human rights records Addressing an investment conference in Moscow, the former prime minister warned that the balance of world power was undergoing its most profound transformation for several centuries. Well, he's telling the truth there because, you see, they had planned to have three trading blocks set up, as Karl Marx mentioned in his book, Das Kapital. And they've already got the United Europe. They're still bringing membership countries in. We have the rush on now for the whole of Latin America. A few countries are lined up after Chile to come in after Mexico, once it's all cemented. And they're already setting up the real real, uh, government for the Far East, the Asia-Pacific Rim. And as they're doing this, now they're pushing for a world government over the, the, the blocks, exactly like Karl Marx said. And that's what's happening right now. He says here, power is shifting to the East, and it's shifting fast, not just to China, and eventually to India, but also to the Middle East and to Russia. In a speech that gave short shrift to the role that democracy has played in defining Western ideology. Indeed, he did not mention the word once. Mr. Blair suggested that the West faced stagnation if it did not strengthen ties, strengthen ties with the emerging powers. Same terminology, integration, you see. And that's the same threat they use for Britain and all the other countries in Europe. They'd stagnate, they'd be left behind if it didn't join this world trading organization or world government, really. In the end, the need for an important strategic relationship is more important than these issues that come between the East and the West. We need strong strategic partnerships between the West and China, the West and India, the West and Russia. Acknowledged that Western political leaders were facing the greatest period of pressure for a significant period, and called on the world to pursue greater liberalization. But in comments that will dismay human rights activists, the former Prime Minister made it clear that he was talking about economic rather than political liberalization. The West had to, listen to this, the West had to reject the temptation to pursue anti-immigration policies or to pursue economic protectionism, he said. Now here's the man who was banging the British people and he belongs to a big group who are banging their own people in different countries about overpopulation and all the rest of it, and and yet he wants. So he's blaming you. And, and people really believe it's their fault. And all immigrants go into the big cities, so you certainly do become overcrowded, especially when they're not building new buildings because of urban sprawl. They don't want urban sprawl. So here he is advocating that, that immigration go on on a base, you see. all of that, speaking three months after a heavily criticised election allowed Vladimir Putin to remain Russia's most powerful man in a constitutionally dubious power grab Mr. Blair shied away from anything that sounded critical of the Kremlin instead he heed praise on the stability and strong leadership that Mr. Putin had given Russia in his eight years as president, a period in which critics say the fragile seedlings of democracy sown in the 1990s have all but been crushed Briefly acknowledging relationships between Russia and Britain had been difficult. Now, that's a bit of an understatement. Difficult. Supposedly, during the whole Cold War, we're going to nuke each other any day. And that's how they kept people terrified back then, on all sides. Mr. Blair called on the West to understand how the former superpower had changed. I guess psychotherapy works. hmm? Russia feels more assertive, he says. Russia feels it has got over the past. Mr. Blair's comments reflect a shift back to the early days of his premiership when he made a greater effort to woo Mr. Putin than any other world leader, despite international criticism of the war in Chechnya. Now, do you realize that the whole Cold War was a fiasco? On a on the high level, it was a fiasco. On the lower level, a lot of it was very real. And real people got very, very, very hurt, indeed. But at the top, and this was found by by some people within MI5 who were on the trails of spies and double agents. Each time they're ready to to grab the agent, someone higher up than them tipped off the agent to get out the country. And this was written in a book called The Third Man, or uh, or The Fifth Man, it was called. The Fifth Man. Uh, And only two people got the ultimate uh, raiding orders from MI5, MI6, and one of them was the royal family. Another one, of all people, was Victor Rothschild, who was the head of all the, the major security forces in Britain when they all amalgamated. He was the head guy. So only the two of them, one or the other, had tipped off the spies to get out the country. Fascinating, read. And we also know, too, uh, that... the the wall in Berlin didn't just fall down. They didn't just get up one morning and say, well, I guess we've had enough. Let's all be friends. No, this was planned that way, and telephone calls were made to all the Soviet bloc countries telling uh, the the prime ministers to, to sort of step down and let this all happen. That's how it went, you see, in reality. Because it was time now to blend the two systems together, exactly as, as uh, I think it was Senator Norman Dodds mentioned in the Rees report that they did with the foundations in America, and they went to investigate why the big foundations seemed to have had their fingers in so many of the communist pies. And Dodds was told that from the, the, the CEO of the Ford Foundation uh, that their job was to blend the Soviet system quietly and painlessly with that at the west well they've done it you see mr gorbachev remember gorbachev he was wooed by margaret thatcher when he was the he was the head of russia the soviet russia and they brought him over to the west and they did a, a world tour with him she was on his she had him on her arm the whole time introducing this new type of, of communist and that's how it's put across in the newspapers this new with it trendy type of communist with a with tailor-made suits rather than those dark, baggy things he used to wear. And it wasn't until about six months to a year afterwards, the media admitted that the condition they had to interview Gorbachev was to promote him as this particular spanking-you type of Soviet, a trendy one, uh, who was progressive. And they were also uh, asked not to ask any questions about the conditions of poverty, etc., in the Soviet Union, and they all complied. There was a staged job with Thatcher and Gorbachev and the powers that backed them. That's what really happened there. Because the job was over, they built up all the research and development for high technology on both sides. Now it was time to share it all and use all of that high tech into the new world order, the stuff that we're seeing emerging now and being used on the public across the planet including the Star Wars campaign, too, which also is sitting waiting to read your chips when you eventually get them. They were put up there years ago. These guys work so far ahead, it's mind-boggling. But only if you're stuck in the low levels of the Matrix. Back with more after this break. cutting through the matrix this devious multi-layered reality that we've been brought up in and a reality that very few break through to the surface because after all why should you question it? Why should you question if your parents didn't know what was going on and big powers were at work to make sure they didn't know then why should you ask? That's how, how devious this, this is. The people at the bottom are treated truly like cattle and our are, are mushrooms are kept in the dark and, and fed said, you know what, but just before I finish this article here, it says, Mr. Blair's call for a new partnership with Russia were echoed even more strongly by the Archdeacon of Real Politics, Henry Kissinger, and they really call them the, 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 the dark force here, the, the Archdeacon of Darkness, Henry Kissinger, Richard Nixon's former Secretary of State, now 85. These guys never retire. You see, that they're, they're always at it. This is a religious cause, with us. that's the only place you'll find this kind of dedication. They don't put their feet up and go fishing. No, they, they're rushing over the world, working at the same agenda. It says, now 85 urged Russia and the United States to put their differences behind them and cooperate in a new relationship between two great powers to address the world's problems. And he it says, it's amazing they can make it out, because Henry Kissinger always appeared on TV with a big sort or aura around him. And he mumbled all the time, and no one could understand a word he said. So he'd always have to get someone to to tell you what he said. It says, says, um, for the first time in history, Russia is becoming integral in the world economy, Mr. Kissinger told the conference organized by Russian investment bank Renaissance Capital. For this reason, it's necessary for the U.S. and Russia to cooperate in Europe, the Middle East, and Asia. They want Russia to come in with their military power as well, you see. None of this can be dealt with by any confrontation between the U.S. and Russia. I hope that the disagreements of recent years will be seen a larger perspective and that on the global challenges that faces Russia and the United States will work together as partners and not as adversaries. So the big boys are at it for an old, old agenda, a very old agenda, as I say discussed in the 1800s and written about by some players of this. World system to be set up with three great trading blocks that technically wouldn't have any real political power, but it would all be subservient to a global government. And you're seeing it all happen. We're living through this. But it isn't just a a time of of upheaval where you eventually settle down and breathe again and carry on as usual. It's not a change of bosses. It's more than that. It's a change to a new system entirely. And they're already conditioning the next generation that are going into kindergarten now, and the the young ones in school, that they're going to be the real greenies, and they're going to be taught nothing, nothing but saving the planet and green and all the rest of it, and sterilization, uh, euthanasia, and all the things that will become necessary to save the world. That's how it's going to be presented to them. It already is, actually. It already is. And we're on a, a great slide towards this new, brand new system. Not so good. And this is one more article I'm going to read here, which shows you that nothing changes and techniques never change. Someone once said that all systems, regardless of communism capitalism, are essentially fascist in nature. And it is true because both, both of them are based upon materialism. It's all materialism with the belief that sciences and all sciences that become the new priesthood, you see. That's what we have today. Science is the new, the, the new holy Rome, the Roman Empire, and the scientists are the new priests. we've all been taught and conditioned growing up to the present day that whatever they say is holy. You can't question it. And they've been given all this power to rule our lives and dictate to us how we should live. So much so that now governments push laws through to make us obey them. But again, it's all based on materialism, pure materialism. So capitalism and communism had to come together because they were both to do with production and consumption and the mass man. Both of them came out of the industrial era, And then they called the masses the mass for the first time. And it was all planned back then. Well, here's another little article here, and it's from The Guardian, uh, Tuesday, June 17th. It says, could humiliation be the next weapon in our war on crime? Now, before I go into this, it's to show you, and I've mentioned it before, uh, they're using, from from the United Nations, they're using the Chinese model to be used for the rest of the world. Remember that the United Nations said China was the model state, the model state for the world, to copy. And they used the social um, approval techniques that they got in China and social disapproval techniques that they use in China. That's what they used for anti-smoking. Now the UN has declared the war on obesity, and they're going to use the same techniques on obesity. But here's the next step, which they also used in China, could humiliation be the next weapon in our war on crime? British offenders depressed at the prospect of sweeping out bus stations in a fluorescent jacket, identifying them as a criminal, or being shamed in a conviction poster, can console themselves with the thought that they could be at the cutting edge of a historic revival. The reform, suggested in a report by Lewis Casey, former head of the Government's Respect Unit, Government's Respect Unit do you know how that government respect unit? You know. Hark back to the days of ancient Rome, where prostitutes were forced to wear a man's toga as a badge of shame. Back with more on this particular technique after this break.
0: You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can
2: handle the truth.
1: In cutting through the matrix and reading this little article here from The Guardian about this new technique of shaming shaving people, shaming people who have broken the law. Or simply, the way it's going now, you see, we're all going to end up in labor camps in one form or another for being politically incorrect or, or whatever it happens to be. Because they're so using the Soviet and again the, the communist and Chinese system over here. It's worldwide. That's the only way you can blend them all together is bring in uh, the dominant one's systems. And they're all for this type of thing. So it says, The reforms suggested in a report by Louis Casey, the head of the government's respect unit. <clears throat> I don't know who respects the government. Oh, I just committed a crime there. Hark back to the days of ancient Rome, where prostitutes were forced to wear a man's toga as a badge of shame, and to China's cultural revolution, when class enemies were paraded around with self-condemnatory slogans on their clothes. Originally used in medieval Europe as a means for the community to punish petty offences, degrading treatment was outlawed in the UN's Universal Declaration of Human Rights in 1948. According to Amnesty International and Penal Reform International, contemporary examples of shaming sentences are rare. If the British measures come into force, we will apparently share honours with China, rural India, Rwanda, and a few jurisdictions overseen by particularly imaginative judges in the U.S., and you should also add Nazi Germany to that as well, because they were good for pinning little uh, stars and so on on certain people uh, when they were going after them, just to shame you. And I know that of a different color for every category of of uh, speak law, you've broken, you see, speech law, call it speak law, uh, because you're politically incorrect of different colors to show them what you are. And this is coming on in this time of control freaks, because this again is the age for control freaks of all kinds to get put up there and get little uniforms and little armbands to go around homes and schools etc and find out who's not going along with the agenda it's all out in the open now and there's lots of control freaks out there lots and lots of them to recruit from so we'll go to the uh, phones now and we've got Rick from California there Are you there Rick
3: yeah, so Hi, Alan. How you doing? Good. How you doing?
1: I'm surviving up here.
3: Yeah, me too. Um, I'm shrinking
1: though. I'm shrinking with all this rain.
3: Yeah. Oh, it's um. It's, I guess you're getting some of the stuff that's going on in, um, in Indiana. Some of the tail end of that, or something. Yeah. They're they're bashing
1: the breadbasket of Canada and the states again. And it's just weather warfare because they must create the real crisis and then blame us for it.
3: Yeah. yeah. Oh. Yeah, I have a story I wanted to tell you of an experience that happened to me um, yesterday. Um, I'll try to make it short. Um, I uh, he- heard on the news um, the night before, um, on-, on Monday night, that there was going to be this huge biotech conference here in San Diego in my in my town, and- a biotech convention, and they said the protesters would be in the free speech area, which was off to the side. And um, so I went down there uh, yesterday and just strolled around in front of the convention center, and I started asking people questions. I wanted to see if the transhumanists were in there. And I went inside, and I noticed everybody was wearing badges. And I went inside, and um, somebody said, "Somebody let me inside." And said, can, "Can I help you?" And I said, "Yes, um, I just want to see what the registration area is. To see, I want to register to go inside. And uh, but let me just take a look at this. Uh, and there was this huge placard there, this huge like billboard. Let me just take a look and see who's represented here. And Monsanto was there, and all the big ones were there. And the guard came up and said, "Excuse me, but you're going to have to." Step, uh, you got to come with me. Uh, you're going to have to leave, um, you know. And so he escorted me out. So then I was in a conversation with a man outside about the, the, the nicotine vaccines and um, a man who knew about it and uh, was talking to him. And then I noticed that police started surrounding me. Before long, there were like three or four cops. And then I said, What's going on? And they said, Well, wait till you're done. I said, No, I'm done now. Let me talk. And then they, so then they detained me there. They, did, they said, You're not under arrest, but you're you're being, being detained. Mm hmm. And um you, you need a badge to go inside and um you need to pre register and I acted real nice of them, I acted like I was going there for a job and uh they asked me all these questions, so oh, do you have any tattoos, have you been arrested before? And then um I had this brochure in my hand that I was flipping through while I was waiting for them to check on my ID and I noticed that Colin Powell is the keynote speaker. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know that I didn't know that. They didn't say that on the news. And no. uh <clears> there <throat> should be a red light to people right there. That, that Colin Powell, the military guy, big brass, is going to be the speaker of this biotech convention. Yeah, well, it's the same thing uh, to do with Newt
1: Gingrich, who was he started off as speaker for all the the conferences they had on on the biochip that's implanted mm-hmm. in folks' bodies. I mean, th- these guys are definitely in on all these big conferences, so I'm not surprised at all.
3: Yeah, and then and then, um, and then the, co- the corporate security guard, a guard, big fat guy, came out came out and said, can I help you, like real accusingly, nobody was friendly, and he took away my, my brochure, because I had asked him for literature, I said, "I just want some literature, and they had given me some, and yeah. then he came and took it away from me, mm-hmm. and, I, and they were like, I noticed that they were real secretive about it, and then I got on the bus home, and there were no protesters at all, and then I found the protesters about a half a mile away, surrounded by cops.
1: Yeah, and that's the new rules now, everywhere they go, you're... you're... They're about a quarter mile away from any any uh, from actually seeing if you even get out the cars. That's traditional now. Yeah.
3: Yeah, and uh, and I talked to the protesters and, and a little bit, you know, to ask them questions. And most of them are the, your animal rights type people. They couldn't. I said, you know, I, I could see a future where you, you have to get a license to even have your children because your DNA will be will be uh, owned by somebody else. And the and the, pro, and the protesters said, Nah, we had a civil war about that. Huh. You know? <laughs> About slavery, and I, and I just thought, you know, this guy, you know, the, even them are, they're not, they haven't even woken up really. No, no, they're into their own little thing there. Yeah.
1: yeah but, but thanks for calling them.
3: Yeah, you're welcome.
1: Bye now. Nate, there's Jeremy in Pennsylvania. Yes. Hello, Jeremy.
4: Uh, yes, um. I was just calling because I've been listening to you since about January, and I just, I mean, like, I love your show. I listen to it pretty much every night, but I've been listening to the podcasted version because I was never really around my computer to listen to it while it was live. I've been meaning to call you for a while Mm -hmm. because um, you've been talking kind of off and on for the past about two months about um, problems with, like, computers and, like, how the Internet is pretty much being more and more restricted and how... Oftentimes when you introduce the show, like you'll say, you know, you should probably just go to the website and download everything you can now because we don't know how much longer it will even be available, like, you know, if it ever gets shut down or something. Mm-hmm. And uh, I actually know quite a bit about, like, how to keep information secure and stuff. And, like, I was wondering if, like, maybe there's some way to contact you and explain this and maybe then you could pass it on or maybe you have some time right now. Like, I could even, like, explain well, some information not about the how to...
1: it you... would take too long, but... What you can do is certainly email information.
4: Okay. Um, so, is there I any use... way I can just get, like call you after the show and talk to you that way? Because like I, don't know, I just don't particularly trust email until like I can help you through
1: like some encryption stuff with it. Mm-hmm. it not after the show I'll be up till about two in the morning uploading this this particular show. That's a lot it takes me. Okay. But maybe tomorrow. You know, you can try tomorrow.
4: Okay. Um, yeah. Can I get some contact information from RBN then for that? Or I mean, like, how would I go about that?
1: Uh, what to do is you you email me first Okay. Uh, that you're there, and, and uh, I'll give you a call. Okay. Okay.
4: All right. Um, Thank well, thanks a ton, and uh, I hope everything goes really well for you. Okay. All
1: right. Fine. Now, there's um, uh, Dave in California.
0: Hi, Alan. Thanks for taking my call. Yes. Uh, one little point on the humiliation issue, and then uh, another more pressing one about uh, chemtrails and the environment. I'll make it brief. Uh, I recently read a book about Mao as a young man and coming up through the power structure and all that. One of the things that he put into place in China was he would have political officers in every town or region call meetings at night after the the poor peasants had worked themselves to death. They would have to go to these meetings for hours and hours, and they would randomly drag people out of the crowd, put them up on the stage, and force them to confess every sin, every thought, everybody they told. Uh, in front of the people that they that they told, mm-hmm. and if they didn't confess properly enough, they would keep them up there longer. They would torture them. They would kill them. And then anybody that they fingered while they were up there, they would drag them up. So it was not only uh, it was not only humiliation. It was terror. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I, I, that scared the heck out of me. I, it, it seemed very uh, very efficient. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I wanted to uh, to ask you, sir. I also live in a wilderness area. I'm in uh, remote northern California and between uh, recently traveled between here and northern Oregon and, and around through here. And what I'm seeing is uh, not just the bees disappearing, uh, they're almost gone, although uh, we do see uh, some other species, but for the most part, it's all the insects are disappearing mm-hmm. a lot. Uh, are you seeing that up in Canada too? Not so much all the insects, but if I did notice notice,
1: uh, five years ago, you'd walked through the forest and there was hardly a bird uh, Right the Birds were dying, especially the smaller birds. The, yes. the, the, the larger ones and the hawks were doing well, the buzzards, etc. But uh, the small birds were not, there were an absence of them.
0: Well, okay, let me tell you what it's like here now. <clears throat> you know, I've been up here a long time. I used to like to lay in the morning and listen to the birds, and now you may hear one songbird in the morning. Uh, in yeah. the course of three years, I've literally not had to wash my windshield on my car one time. Because there's so few bugs getting spotted on the windshield, and I, I do 10,000 miles or so a, a year. Mm-hmm. And, and I can leave my door open. There's never any flies in the house, ever, or anywhere near. I, I literally left some organic honey out in the sun last, last spring at the height of bug season and for two weeks. And I got like eight little tiny black ants that I saw on it and one little tiny bee fly thing, and that was it. Yeah and, and and so uh you know this is really concerning obviously what birds are left are going to be real hungry mm-hmm. but uh so you're but you're noticing that the, the birds dying off up there too i i guess yeah you'll you'll find it with again the gmo food and all the
1: pesticides and the spring as well i think both of them together are doing this uh definitely the the one thing that's doing really good up here are mosquitoes Oh, well, mosquitoes. I, I think they must breed them, and who knows? And we know that they do breed them, and, and, and uh, for, for military purposes. But sure. uh, you wouldn't believe it, and they're thriving in this particular uh, rainy weather we're having.
0: Uh, well, yeah, we don't even see many mosquitoes up here, and, and even at night, around mm-hmm. a, an exposed light outside, you hardly see any moths around it. It's very really? frightening, and, and the, the really scary part is nobody sees it. If, if, if uh, I people up. adapt, this is the whole thing People, you'll find the majority of people Who literally
1: are They're not conscious uh, They're conditioned every day They speak about the same topics that they're given Like Brzezinski said from the media But they adapt daily And even weekly and monthly and yearly to changes Without ever reasoning through The changes for themselves And that, that's why you can literally Start spraying them uh, from the skies For ten years or more And they don't notice, they never look up Right so it's quite easy to control millions, if not billions, of people by understanding their nature, giving them the topics to think about and worry about. But but if you don't use your own perceptions, yeah, you're definitely in trouble. And you're right. So you're using your own perceptions.
0: Yeah. Uh, may I ask you one more question?
1: Yeah.
0: Okay. I've heard you say uh, that people who are preparing to fight to save this country or their country should be aware that they're fighting for something that they never had. Mm-hmm. Do you have any suggestions, I mean, uh, aside from trying to stay alive, live hand to mouth and, and try to put the word out, are there any suggestions that we should be thinking about? Uh, it, it's, I think we're beyond that
1: stage almost because you, you had a bonding and, and a common culture at one time. That's what got people through the major uh, Great Depression, as they call it. Uh, even at that time when they were losing farms by the thousands, and people were having camp cities built up, tent cities. Uh, you didn't find the crime, you found decency amongst the people. They helped each other out, they didn't strangle each other. Well, you see, we've become so materialistically inclined that the family is destroyed. Um, people are, are being created to be egocentric, avoid pain at any cost, and seek pleasure. And so you, you, it's like Dr. Spock said, the guy that said, don't spank your children. Before he died, he says, well, what created a nation of psychopaths? That's what he said.
0: <laughs> right, yeah, he, that turned out really well, didn't it? So, so you're, you're,
1: you're seeing that people could not hang together today to help each other out. They'd be each other's throats. And, uh, that's a sad comment, but a material, a completely materialistic society that does not have a common grounding. And the common grounding they had too, we do know, and this is true, it was taken from a Christian-type background, a religious background. At least they gave them a grounding on what, what was right and what was wrong. Everyone knew the rules, uh, but that's all gone to uh, where, where the, the, in an atheistic society anything goes. You would have bands of mercenaries going around uh, just like they did after the Great Crusades. Um, that's what you would have in America or anywhere else. Most people have not thought what they're fighting for. And that's the most basic thing you've got to ask is, what do we fight for? And you have to start to do with human values, not just your own, but but everyone else's values, to what you have in common. Um, You must also accept the fact that uh, that empathy for others is essential. See, that's been knocked out of us by this uh, materialistic society. There's no empathy for other people. And empathy for others is a survival mechanism for everyone. Right. When you don't have it, uh, it's dog-eat-dog. Dog. Uh, you drop down, no one picks you up. Um, if you have empathy for others and you all pull together, like a, a true tribal system or even a super-tribe who cares of the mixes, um, then, then you're, guar- you're more or less guaranteed survival because everyone counts. But this present society, this has been a war. So it's been a long, ongoing war to literally destroy all all those things which did keep you together and gave human value and and, uh, compassion and humanitarian values to to, to life. We don't have that today. People think they're happy if they buy the latest gadget, and they're happy for five minutes, and then they're depressed again. Um, So it doesn't speak well of of society today, but that's how they've been conditioned uh, in this war, that was definitely set out to destroy all that was, as they say in high masonry, to bring in all that which will be, the, the new creature, the new man. And we're not it. We're the old man. We are supposed to perish when they bring in the new types through their beloved sciences. So uh, all you can truly do is hang on. It's like it's like Orwell said in 1984. It's not just the oppression and everything that gets you down. That the hardest thing going through all of this is hanging on to your humanity. And, and that will be the truth here again.
0: Well, I, I salute you, sir, and, and thank you for your comments. I'll be listening. Uh, thanks for calling. Now we've got Maggie in Texas. Are you there, Maggie?
2: Oh, uh, good evening, Alan. Um, you were talking about Eastern Europe before, and I wondered if you have seen or had a look at um, Webster Tarpley's new book on Obama, which is really equally about the big new Brzezinski. Have you seen that or heard of it?
1: I haven't seen it, no.
2: Uh, Okay. Um, His position, Tarpley's, is that Obama is the puppet of Brzezinski, and he talks as much about Brzezinski, actually, as about Obama, maybe even more and talks of Brzezinski as the person who will be pulling the strings if uh, Obama gets in. Now, according to him, Brzezinski is motivated, and his clan, because there are a lot of Brzezinskis around. I knew there were several. There were more than even I had heard of in positions of some power. Mm -hmm. And uh, according to this historian, um, Brzezinski is motivated by a hatred of Russia, mm-hmm. single-minded. Yeah. And so while you have uh, people like Kissinger saying closer ties, meanwhile Brzezinski will be scheming in the opposite direction.
1: Yeah. Okay. That? I'll, I'll yeah. answer. I'll answer that after the break. Yes.
2: Read. Thank you.
1: sir. Thanks for calling. I am now on what's back cutting through the matrix and I generally don't follow uh, what they give us as main players because they're not main players and even their books generally by politicians are ghostwrite written for them. They don't even have to sit down and dictate. It's just done by someone who knows their, their agenda or their personality and they mix the two together. But we do know that, um, There are no real sides on this. The goal is the same regardless of which way you go. The left-hand path or the right-hand path, they both meet at the same point down the road. And Kissinger, I know Kissinger and Brzezinski uh, vie with each other once in a while to do with uh, the way the agenda should be run. But these guys are not the top. Remember that they're not at the top. They themselves might have access to incredible intelligence across the world, what's happening. But they're not really the bosses. They're big players who are pulled in by those who command them. And at the top of all of this, as I say, there's no difference. Uh, even the politicians are interchangeable. Their faces are inter- Their names are interchangeable. The dramas they get, it's all nonsense. Because I've never seen this, this, this agenda falter because a certain prime minister or president was voted in. And it won't happen here again. It's not going to be changed by them. They're hand-picked on all sides, uh, by the same committee, basically. And they all belong either to the Council of Foreign Relations or Trilateral, but regardless, as Carla Quigley said, we always own and vet those who will be leaders on all sides, every party. That's why the agenda has never faltered. And it's the same in every country in the Western Hemisphere. Same thing goes there. Same with Tony Blair, a complete unknown, shot to the top, and... His only connection really was coming from Oxford, where he learned his oratory skills, and he was picked for them, and his ability to wave his hands around a lot when he was talking. So they're all interchangeable, and their names are lost in history because only the agenda is worth remembering, and what's next as well, what's coming up. But I do know that uh, Brzezinski and Kissinger were—they were, would not appear on the same uh, television interview when they came to Canada. Came separately, interviewed by the same particular person separately, but that doesn't mean that there are not opposing sides on anything. This is much is higher than them. As I say, during the whole Cold War, it wasn't just left against right, and capitalism against yes, communism. There was a third party above the two that made sure there was a balance there, that no one did. Uh, think it was real and rush ahead and try to take the other over, they always got tipped off on both sides. So there's a party at the top uh, just controlling both sides of it all through the Cold War. There was real murder and mayhem at the bottom level, and, of course, we had the the communist countries rising up in the Far East. But at the top, there was another uh, puppet master pulling the strings but definitely in touch with the leaders of both sides at all times. That's why they could tip off the spies on both sides when need be. That's how it happened, and we know that Philby, for instance, then they did a very good BBC documentary on him, very well worth watching if you get a hold of it. It shows you the type of people they recruited, and Philby himself uh, was was snuck out of Britain. He was raised in Britain, went to the best schools, and he eventually became one of the heads of the KGB. So that's a surprise too, MI6 running the KGB. So that's it for tonight from a very wet and thundery and mosquito laden country up here in Canada. From Hamish, myself, it's good night and may your God or your gods go with you.